I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ, all the way over there in Los Angeles, California. A lot of Los Angeles guests on this show this week. Got Evan Sowards in uh, Los Angeles. We've got now Cousin Logan, his grand appearance on uh, inaugural appearance, his first appearance here on the program. Cousin Logan, how's it going? Glad to be here. And, you know, I thought I would get here before Uncle Dave, but uh, <laughs> all things take time. Well, to be fair, Uncle Dave's got the connection with Tennessee. You you don't have the Tennessee connection yet. You got the NFL connection. I got connection in that we... there, but I got in there, but, you know, COVID. Yeah, that was uh, that was not great. Uh, but no, Dave, uh, Dave has been on. Cousin Sam was on uh, a couple times. My dad. Well, that but, makes yeah. sense. You know, all that other stuff makes sense. No, just well, kidding. Florida State. Yeah, no. Yeah, uh, love you, you Uncle Dave. <laughs> he's gonna get he's gonna get so mad i'm gonna send this to him um already taking shots right out of the gate um no but it's uh and then i think i had your dad on years ago to talk some spurs yeah. um but yeah it's been been some time Only but like he knows about <laughs> basketball well this program is i like to blend professional athletes coaches writers and then family and friends so like i like the blend i don't like it all being one particular thing so the more the merrier and uh i appreciate you taking the time to uh come on this program uh logan so we have some nfl stuff we have to talk about here um there's it's gonna be fun uh this opening weekend was top notch um this was uh there were big games everywhere obviously the jags coming back was uh sensational from 27 down uh 27-0 and now you're looking at this weekend where it's an nfl dream right like if you're roger goodell like what the afc looks like right now is just that's what you want every year you want joe burrow trevor lawrence patrick mahomes and josh allen in the final four um at, at just every every playoff uh divisional round if possible like that is just the the bread and butter of this sport and what separates it from literally every other uh professional sports league and even college football is just you're not going to get this kind of top tier qb talent all in a do or die scenario like this we saw it last year with josh allen versus mahomes in kansas city which was one of the all-time best playoff games ever and obviously the controversy with the overtime rules and all that happened but when you look at this weekend um the best game if you had to guess we we know it was jacksonville los angeles last week if you had to guess of the divisional round opponents both in the nfc and the afc what do you think is going to be the best game for me uh i think this is 
a pretty obvious answer. The Bills versus the Bengals. It's a matchup mm. we've been waiting to see since the DeMar Hamlin incident. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of emotion and, um, yeah, I think this game is just going to be one that is going to be a close game. But I see the Bills coming out on top as predicted. And I think that, you know, out of any game, it's pretty easy to see. Like, this one has a lot of meaning, you know. Because in my time, you know, I played football for 12 years. And uh, I've been watching it since I was six when I started playing football. And to see something like that on the field, it just, like, it's bone chilling. And and I think everybody just wants to see those teams finally compete and you know, obviously, all I hope is that Demar Hamlin makes a full recovery, comes back to the NFL. But for me, that's easily going to be the most interesting game to watch. Were you surprised that the Bengals are dogs coming into that game based on what we saw from the Bills against the Dolphins last week? Uh, I'm just not surprised at that uh, at all. Uh, the Bengals barely were able to squeak out against the Ravens last week, and mm. that was solely. You know, there is, you know, an obvious chance that they could have won the game even if they hadn't gotten that return for a touchdown on the one-yard line. Like, that was pivotal to the game. Mm. And if you're squeaking out uh, from that week, like, that, I just think Miami was a much better team that the Bills had to face. Mm. So, I don't think the Bengals look like a Super Bowl contending team right now when it, when they're, you know, coming against the Bills who have had a pretty solid season, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. And Josh Allen is just a robot in the backfield when he needs to. You know, it's like there were, you can't blame him for his loss in the game last year. That was just Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes doing what they do, you know. And Josh Allen doesn't play defense, so I'm going to have to give that one to the Bills. I, I'm not surprised. I kind of am. Like, it's a five-and-a-half line as we're recording. I, I'm i all in. The Bengals have obviously won nine straight here. Um, Joe Burrow's rolling all over again, and he is embracing this of uh, being the dog. He enjoys this. Last year, no one saw the Super Bowl mm -hmm. run coming. A lot of people like myself wondered, I mean, we know how it works for a lot of Super Bowl losers where the following year, it's usually a rough year and come back down to earth situation. Um, and you also don't see like your Rams uh, don't have the five and 12 year following a Super Bowl win either. Like that's yeah. extremely rare uh, coming off a Super Bowl victory. Well, it's the first one. We're the worst. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> mission yeah, it accomplished. Suck. It sucks to suck, but at least we got that Super Bowl, right? exactly um and hey sean mcveigh's back matthew stavard's back next year we'll see we'll see what yeah. uh and aaron donald's back it's kind of wild that all yeah. three i would never have guessed that at this point that they would all be running it back but they are and that's good for los angeles but um the Bengals, like you said they played with their food a little bit with baltimore and baltimore obviously did not have lamar jackson in that one and who knows what how that game goes if there's not that fumble 98 yard recovery yeah and you have Bengals. to remember that's the 2019 mvp they're missing mm -hmm. they're not just missing a wide receiver or defensive end they're missing one of the most important keys to their team mm -hmm. and so that's why i think if you know i i don't think tyler huntley is a bad player i i watched him in college i actually went to uh the pac-12 championship when he played against justin herbert in the mm -hmm. oregon ducks and i think he's a great player it's just he's not Lamar Jackson caliber, and I think Lamar Jackson's in that game. I, I don't know if he fumbles it on the one-yard line, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I think he might. 
you know, people call Lamar a running QB, but he's a smart guy. And that was a mistake that shouldn't have been made. You know, you can't risk the ball when you have, you know, other downs, when you have, you know, you're that close, 99 yards. It was just ridiculous. So I think Lamar Jackson could have definitely changed that game. Absolutely. I will say too, anyone who's not picking the, like just the over in Bills Bengals, you're just throwing money away. Like this game with what we've seen from the Bills secondary to this point, Travis White has not been the same since tearing his ACL and coming back from that. Um, obviously uh, injured in the back end of their safety spot. Um, I I don't know. I think the secondary is pretty weak. And if you ever are in a situation where you're like, oh, Von Miller obviously not being a factor anymore, and he was just killing it with Buffalo um, before he went down with his torn ACL, and you. You look at it, and I mean, they have guys. Greg Rousseau has been really good out of Miami. They Matt Milano, obviously an elite linebacker, pro bowler. But I think Joe Burrow is going to be able to dice this bill secondary up. And Skyler Thompson had his way. And the Dolphins had a lot of opportunities to just steal one in Buffalo last week. I don't think Buffalo has the defense to run the gauntlet. I think this is a worse team than they were a year ago. Um, Josh Allen makes everything. Uh, I mean, Josh Allen is just, like you said, um, a robot, but he's also just, he's going to keep them in the game. So the Bengals and uh, Bills, I think is going to come down to the wire. I just think this is going to be super high scoring. I think this is going to be like 45, 42, something like that. I think both teams like Stefan Diggs and like Eli Apple might be something we see in this one. Um, I think there's going to be mismatches everywhere on the perimeter for both teams. And I just, I think it might be a situation like uh, Bill's Chiefs last year where it's whoever has the ball last, but I just, I'm leaning Bengals. I think everything is riding in their direction right now. And I think from a fan standpoint, what I would prefer to see, I mean, everyone would want to see, I guess, Bills at Chiefs in the AFC title game and that rematch. I think I would rather see Bengals at Chiefs in an uh, AFC title rematch because I am very, like, I would be very curious to see if Burrow and this Bengals defense is able to do what they did to Patrick Mahomes and make him look silly in that AFC title game last year at home where, like, he was just out of his mind. Tyreek Hill was super upset on the sideline. Like, they really just flustered and ruined Patrick Mahomes' uh, title chances last year in a really stunning way. But... I'm wondering if they could do it in back-to-back years. That's just legendary stuff from Joe Burrow and the staff if they're able to flip the script. But I don't know. Um, when you look at it, like, do you think the Bengals, the, it is it here? Like, you don't think that they the run continues and they get to 10 games and you think the Bills keep this magical run going? Or do you think the Bengals uh, ultimately win here? I see the Bills winning, but I have, like, mad love for, for Joe Burrow. Like, I just love the guy, you know, Coming from a family that's pretty much diehard Tennessee, it's kind of hard to say that when the guy came out of LSU, but mm-hmm. he's just like such a stand-up guy, love him on and off the field. And, you know, I honestly, I love Josh Allen too, but either of these guys I'd be happy to see win. But yeah, like you said, I think it's going to come down to the wire and could be, you know, one of those games where it's, yeah, the last one who has the ball wins the game. Because, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of injuries on the defense. And, it yeah, it's it, it could be a very high-scoring game. And, yeah, I'm surprised that's not the, the bet I chose for this week. <laughs> right. Either way, I'm just excited to, to watch it. Like, what, what is the over-under on that? Let me pull it back up. Bills, Bengals. Uh, let me pull that up real quick. Um, 
110. Oh, no. Game wait, total is set at 48 and a half. Wait. I was like, 110 yeah, is no, not. Uh, nobody's ever scored yeah. that many points. Yeah, no. 48, 48 and a half. half. Yeah, I could easily see them doing that. Yeah, 48 and a half is just absolutely. Yeah. Mm. I guess the 110 is like the if you get you're betting on both. And yeah. It, it, yeah. Like that's uh, what you're doing. But yeah, no, 48 that's and a half. spread. Yeah. I think they're going to do that. I would take the over on 48 and a half, which is kind of wild, but I think this will be a back and forth affair. You mentioned Lamar Jackson, uh, Logan. I'm curious, now that Greg Roman is out um, in Baltimore, he will not be the offensive coordinator. We'll see where they go. Uh, maybe they can get Kubiak back in. Maybe they get his son, Clint Kubiak, in there as OC. I don't know where they go. Mark Tressman, bring him back. Um, there's all kinds of options that they can go. I think that's a pretty appealing offensive coordinator job. We'll see what happens. But I think they're probably going to wait to see what the quarterback situation is before they take an offensive coordinator job with Baltimore. Um, Lamar Jackson, though. If you had to guess, or not even guess, if you had to say the best landing spot, if it's not Baltimore for him this offseason, where would you most like him to go where do you think he would best fit so if you look back to when lamar jackson won the mvp they went 14 and 2 mm. you see that who are his wide receivers the, these guys are nobodies like willie sneed they're not superstar not super high caliber so i think you need to focus on finding lamar jackson an offensive line that can suit you know his ability to run and pass at the same time so uh so many of the offensive lines in the league already have the best offensive lines have some of the best quarterbacks right now. You know, it's not like Dallas is going to give up Dak or, uh, you know, Tampa Bay is going to give up. Like They're not going to give up certain players. So the best team I think that's suited that doesn't have a true franchise quarterback with a hmm. decent offensive line, I'd say the Seattle Seahawks. Hmm. So where it would happens with Gino have, there? Uh, do you look at Gino like he's a franchise guy? I think Gino was really, really good this year. Um, I, I think, think he was too. Very efficient, high completion percentage. Vet. I think he's like a he's a ready to win now. He kind of reminds me of like Ryan Tannehill a couple years ago in Tennessee, where like I don't think he'll ever be like one of the five best quarterbacks. But if you have an elite talent around him, if you have a great defense, if you have the right scheme, I think Geno Smith can win a title. I think he can go on a run. I think he can be like a Derek Carr or a Ryan Tannehill or an Alex Smith or just that super efficient veteran guy. But that can none win a of those of guys won the Super Bowl, did they? But they could have. I mean, like Ryan Tannehill was the number one team in the AFC last year. Like they're, you just want to be in play. And I think he's yeah. good enough to be in play um, for a lot. No, of I'm not saying those guys aren't good. It's just none of them actually went on and won a Super Bowl. Well, only one does and every year. It's pretty hard. It's pretty hard yeah. winning the Super Bowl. Not for Brady, apparently. Outside of Brady. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that I hadn't considered um, Lamar in Seattle as a possibility, but that is, I mean, you pair him with De DK. They obviously are going to have a top three pick. And think about what you could get for Geno Smith in this year after like mm -hmm. a good season, what, what you could get in value for him to put around Lamar. Mm -hmm. Like, or, you know, it's it, Lamar is going to be more than Geno, but. That's an interesting question it, though. Of like, who yeah, would you trust not, more of the next two years? If you're a contender right now, based on what you saw from Gino and Lamar's knee stuff down the stretch here, like who would you 
tie your win now team to it. Like if you're the Jets and you you're considering Derek Carter or Jimmy Garoppolo, but if Lamar Jackson and Gino, I mean I'm sure Gino doesn't want to go out to New York based on how that ended years ago, but like teams like that where you feel like your defense is good enough, you feel like you have the offensive playmakers, you have the wideouts that you just plug in a vet who has high upside, who's going to be super efficient, complete a bunch of passes and not lose games for you. Like, I don't know. I would be tempted to go Gino more often than Lamar around the league with some of these openings. I, I really would. Yeah. Gino's not, really good this year and he was yeah, healthy. He's it's not big. Untr- it's, it's not, it's not false, but it's just hard to say I would take Gino over Lamar Jackson. Like, this this could have just been a good run for Gino this year. It's like our or when I say our division, the Rams division, the mm-hmm. uh, where were the NFC, the NFC West, West. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're the NFC West, and uh, just besides the 49ers, four of those games they were playing against pretty crappy teams. Like I'm gonna mm-hmm. say it myself, the Rams sucked and Cardinals sucked. They're not playing in the best division. Yes, they made playoffs. They made playoffs, yes. Yeah, they, had, they got blown yeah, out. They were they in it. Play? They were up on the Niners they, they played, at the half. Yeah. yeah, it was the Niners, yeah. Mm. So we played within our own division. And Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I could not believe that play mm. where the – I can't remember the defender's name, but he got the uh, late hit with one second left, you know, on Geno Smith before the second half. Mm -hmm. If I was a 49ers fan and that cost me a game, I'd just, I'd just be calling for the man. I just, I I would lose my mind. Well, there were back-to-back dumb things because Shanahan pooch kicked, which I never understand. Like why anyone does that anymore. Like stop doing that. I don't know why we keep doing that. It's such a dumb thing. It's how Tennessee beat Georgia years ago. Like the pooch kicks are just stupid. Like there's no reason to kick it out of the end. you close enough to throw it or Mm -hmm. like, and I just could not believe one second, this one second is going to run off as soon as the play is over. And this guy mm-hmm. just, what did you get out of that? But I think it was yeah, Tart, I, if I remember correctly. I think it might have been, I think it was Jacob. Yeah, I was just having trouble remembering who the Seahawks played. But yeah, I, I definitely have to take Lamar Jackson. He's younger, he's an MVP. And Mm-hmm. There's never been anybody to run. Even Michael Vick couldn't mm-hmm. like keep up with this guy. It's like Vick might have even been faster, but the elusiveness of Lamar Jackson is untouched. It's crazy that there are only two people even close to like you know Michael, or the, there's only one person even close to Lamar Jackson, which is Michael Vick, mm-hmm. and Lamar Jackson just does it better and you know, didn't have the complications in the middle of his career. <laughs> you know, what's also interesting. Like if you go through NFL total QBR for this year, like Mahomes and Allen are one, two, no surprise there. Number three, though, Tua, four, Jalen Hurts, five, Jared Goff, your old friend, Gino sixth, Daniel Jones is seventh, Jacoby Brissett eighth, Lamar ninth, Joe Burrow 10th. It's kind of wild. Yeah. Well, I had two on my fantasy team, so that okay. worked well for me. Not bad. Yeah. Uh, who would you guess was last in EPA? in total QBR this year for the NFL of all the qualified starters. There's 31 EPA. Yeah. What's that stand for? Expected points uh, added like just for that particular oh. quarterback. Um, Who would you guess was league worst? And it wasn't even particularly close. 
It, this includes only people that played for basically the entire season, not people that were like coming in and out. It, he played enough to qualify. I'll say that. So what's, he did plain not start enough, game. what's plain enough to qualify? Uh, I don't know. Let me see what the... He must play 20 plays per team game. A player must play a minimum of 20 action plays per team game. On average? Yeah. So he had to get at least 20 snaps on average. Okay. Crap. This is a, this is a tough one. Uh, Do you want me to tell you? I, I don't think it's Derek Carr, but I'm going to guess Derek Carr. It's not Derek Carr. He was 13. I, I he was know, actually okay I know there. it's not him. I know it's somebody I'm just... Uh, who is it? Baker Mayfield. I was going to say that. Oh, my God. I was about to say, like, does Baker Mayfield count? Because I didn't know if he played enough. He did. Baker yeah. Mayfield was league worst. Yeah. I'm at my friend's house right now, and he's a big Raiders fan. Mm-hmm. And I watched, I watched the game here, and he's uh-huh. sitting there just, you know, giving it to me the whole game, making fun of me. And then Baker Mayfield. The uh, Thursday night game. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, we're not going to make the playoffs, but at least we're going to beat his team. <laughs> that was amazing. That was like, that was right after Brady had done it like the night before. Mm-hmm. Well, that was also like Baker got in and like didn't know the playbook. Like he'd been there for like less yeah. than 48 hours and he's just like, all right, I'm just going to come in and start slinging it around. We'll see what happens. And yeah. it was, it was fun. That was like an all time, just horrific. Uh, yeah. They didn't, the only number they had he could wear was 17. That's why he uh. wore it. Yeah, I guarantee you he would have worn 11 if mm-hmm. he could have because that was, I believe, his high school number. Mm-hmm. And when he came to the NFL, he thought about wearing it again, but he went back to six. So final thing on Lamar, though. Your best uh, guess. Where do you think he is playing week one next year, if you had to guess uh, right now? In Baltimore. You think he's back? Yeah, I don't think they want to lose Lamar. Okay. Like, he's already a part of that city and – you know, an MVP is no small feat, and it's not like he's been really, really bad. It's just a lot of injuries, and, you know, you can't play well when you're not playing. So I, I see Lamar coming back. I don't see Baltimore wanting to, you know, part ways with him quite yet. I don't think they want to see what they can really get out of him. Okay. Um, do you think the Cowboys should roll with their kicker this weekend? I saw they brought in competition, man, and I'm like – this is insane. Like, I don't even know if that's better for their health, right? Like the no. mental health where it's like, you already have like the yips with the extra points. You kept sending them out there, which was bonkers to me. And now you bring in competition. I don't really understand that. Like either cut him and then bring in a new guy or just say, we're running it back with him. I don't know. Peyton was like losing his mind in the broadcast uh, during that game of Monday night. I, I just think kickers scare me already so much that I'm like, no, we're moving on. Like he's been great all year. It was super weird. But, like, you cannot rely on him in this kind of environment next week. Like, there's no way I'm kicking with this guy. And I think they're doing a competition. I guess he's going to kick. But, like, I don't know. What would you do? Uh, would this, If you're a Cowboys fan, are you terrified of this week's developments? Oh, yeah. There's no way you're not going to be terrified. You're going to have to do something either way that's not going to make you really uncomfortable. Because mm-hmm. when somebody misses four PATs <laughs> in a row... Mm-hmm. It's like, that's unheard of. This guy missed three the entire season, I believe. Yeah. And that's just something, like, I feel bad for him. You know, you got your friends and your family watching and everyone you ever knew growing up, they're all cheering for you. And you just are crap in the bed your first experience, you know, in the playoffs, the first time, like, it matters most. And I don't think that it gets any better next week because 
Like that, maybe his kicking gets better, but he's he's going to be as nervous as anybody else, like in that stadium, which is a, is a bad sign. And I, yeah, bringing in another kicker, that is definitely something that is not good for your kicker's confidence. You know, you just went from being a part of this team, a part of this franchise, a part of this Super Bowl run, to possibly not being part of any of it in the very next week. Yeah. And that's terrifying. Like this man is thinking about his future career and there's just so much that goes into it. I I would be very, very nervous, but I think it comes down to who are who are these other people you're bringing in? Do they have playoff experience? Have they proved themselves on an NFL field? Like, you know, college has wider field goals. Mm. And so obviously you're going to make more then it's like, it's all about precision here. And I need somebody that I know is going to be precise. And people are like, it's easy to forget after missing four simple PATs that this guy, I forget which game it was this season, but I remember when he hit, it was two 60 yard field goals, Mm. I think in a game. And then one of them, uh, he kicked twice and made both times. Cause I, I think they called a timeout. Uh, right before, but the guy nailed three sixty-yard field goals, which is something I've never seen. I've never seen mm-hmm. anybody hit from that range. So I really think it does come down to yeah, his mental, uh, yeah, just to to his thoughts alone because he obviously has the physical ability to yeah. do these things, and it's just he's mental. a very talented kicker. But when you get in those big game situations, it's like. Yeah, I'm sure I wouldn't be any better at it. Like, I start shaking when I speak in front of a speech class. I, uh, but it, you're doing okay here. Yeah. How nervous yeah, makes, are you right now? <laughs> not really. You know, I'm See? talking to I'm talking to a mic, and you know, I'm not in front of a ton of people that I don't know, so it's not that bad. But there you go. This guy is in front of you know, thirty thousand, twenty, thirty thousand people just around him, and then he knows millions of people are watching. And the cities are depending on him. Mm-hmm. And it's just a lot of weight to hold on your shoulders. And the only way he's going to be able to prove it is if he does it next week. And there's, there's no guarantee. You're not going to feel good about it. But my question is, did he hit a PAT at the end of the game? Yeah, he made His the fifth, fifth one. one. Yeah, he made the I fifth think one. That is, I think that is a, it is a little important to his confidence. Hmm. Because once you, you know, miss one... It's mm. going to be twice as embarrassing if you miss two in a row. And then it's going to be three times embarrassing. You know, it just gets more and more embarrassing. So there's more pressure almost every kick. Now these finally sunk one. I think, I think he'll be all right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't rush to bring in a new kicker mm. because if you're going to sit there and hold tryouts, all you're going to do is deflate his confidence. You're not going to make him feel any better right. or. It's just not going to help your situation. So unless you're pretty sure you're going to bring somebody else in, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm just going to stick with him. I would have, I would have moved on my like my gut, or I'm not kicking. Like I think that should be on the table. Like you're against the Niners anyway, who look like Georgia of the NFL right now on both sides of the ball. Like Birdie is channeling his inner Stetson Bennett. 
Like, I'm just going for two every time anyway. Like, if I'm the Cowboys, that's my strategy against the Niners. We're not even putting it to chance. I'm not I'm not doing this. Like, 31 points on five touchdowns last week. That's insane. You can't have that. And I just, I'm not risking it with um, these kickers. So, I'm very fascinated to see what ultimately the Cowboys do. But I think they're going to play it safe and hope that he's over it. And that fifth one got him through it. So, but you're I'm like, talking about not even taking PATs this No, I'm week. saying it's out of the, yeah, no, I'm, I'm over it. Like, we're not risking it. We're going for two. We're dogs against probably the i would say the favorites to win the nfc right now but what's um, going to be your go-to play if you're going for two are you going to be passing short pass or are you gonna you're gonna try to rush bootlegs, it up the middle or? like dak on the bootlegs man misdirection they do cd land yeah. in motion all I was the about time to say, don't i wouldn't rush i wouldn't trust rushing the ball up the middle no with ezekiel or tony Pollard not against right the now. niners just yeah no. it, it hasn't looked good like no in the last couple weeks um Probably Dalton Schultz gets involved a lot for me. Uh, sneaky important storyline for the divisional round games for you. What is the most interesting storyline that you're you're intrigued by this weekend? Um. Well, for this weekend, I'm pretty excited because uh, one of my buddies from high school, one of my mm. teammates, uh, he plays for the Giants. He's the starting nickel, uh, Darnay Holmes. So he's playing against the Eagles, so I'm cheering my boy on. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they'll get that upset. So that's a big uh, storyline for me. But I think one of the biggest storylines overall is Trevor Lawrence. Like, what is this guy going to do? If he goes on to win a Super Bowl somehow, this would be one of the craziest seasons you had ever seen just because of that comeback against the Chargers. Hmm. Nobody saw that coming except for me. I bet on it when it was plus 550 and they were down 17. You know your boy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Trevor <laughs> Trevor Lawrence, uh, I think, is the big storyline right now. I want to see uh, what he does. And I would like to see the Jacksonville Jaguars finally uh, win a Super Bowl. That'd be cool. And just, Cousin Sam would yeah, like it. Yeah, definitely be cool. Yeah, yeah. We'd go down to Jacksonville and have a little party. Duval. Absolutely, Duval. like it looked, it looked fun. Uh, that was a fun vibe. I knew a lot of people who were who were there. JP Acosta of SB Nation, who was on Monday night, he was there in the building, like just uh, euphoric, and that's just uh, it's a good time. And when you have your your guy and Trevor Lawrence for the next ten years, there's not a better feeling in sports, I don't think, than realizing you have your franchise quarterback um, right at the beginning of their prime, and it's like, oh, this is going to be awesome for the next ten years. Like it's just every year we have a chance to win a title because we have one of the five to seven needle mover quarterbacks and it's fun. Um, Cause you never know when the next time you're going to get it. Like the chiefs went decades without this guy and they finally got Patrick Mahomes um, who got him there. And uh, it's fun. It turns out it's, it's pretty fun when you have a franchise quarterback. Um, you can make one NFL bet this weekend, Logan, you only get one. What is the bet that you make? I don't know if I'm going to stand by this, but uh <laughs> I do see all the favorites winning this week. Um, no upsets. No, but if there is going to be an upset, it's going to be the Giants because of my boy. Uh, okay. Watch out for the Darnay Holmes pick six. Mm-hmm. And I would have, I took the 49ers covering uh, minus four. Hmm. So the 49ers beating the uh, Cowboys. Cowboys by four. Mm-hmm. Yes. Really? So you have all favorites, and you think the Giants are the most likely upset team of anyone? Man, they're, they're the one I'm hoping upsets. 
If okay. anybody's going to upset, it's going to be the Giants. Yeah. I think the Giants have a better chance of beating the Eagles than the Cowboys have a chance of beating the um, Niners. And then yeah. the AFC, I would be pretty surprised if the Jags go into Kansas City and win. Like, that would really, really surprise me. It's one thing to beat the Chargers and deal with those demons and just the Chargers being the Chargers and the, the Falcons of the AFC. It's another thing to go into Arrowhead and beat uh, Patrick Mahomes in his first uh, first playoff game this year. I, I just, I don't see it. Like, this would be some legendary stuff from Trevor Lawrence to do that um, in back-to-back weeks. And yeah, I that's just, what I'm saying, man, is yeah. he could right now, like, place himself in nfl history yeah like, he does this is... he's never lost on saturdays the dude he he loves winning football games on saturdays and then you look at it i mean if he wins that one then he gets matched up with either burrow who we face in the uh the national championship in 2019 which people forget like that'd be a, a, a national championship college football rematch that we haven't seen and that's pretty rare uh in the sport or you get josh allen and the bills the best story against the other best story uh in jacksonville so i don't know i think either way the afc is far more interesting to me than the nfc i think the nfc is still just the night like i will be floored if the niners do not win the nfc at this point i think both sides of the ball they're healthy debo mccaffrey purdy bosa just dudes everywhere and they are just pulverizing folks i just i would be floored if the niners don't run through you could sell me on all four of the AFC remaining teams winning the AFC, which is pretty amazing. So you like my pick. I do like four. your pick. Yeah. All right, good. I like your pick. Right. Um, last thing. The best available NFL head coaching job is what would you say? If you had to advise all the coaches who are looking and interviewing, who would you say and recommend? You're like, okay, this is probably the best job for me. All right. I got a head coach, but I didn't get an offensive coordinator. I didn't yeah. look into that. Uh, but, uh, when they finally, you know, decide to fire Brandon Staley, uh, as they should. No, he's back. Uh, like that's book. I know, I back. know, I know, I know. I was just kidding. I was like, when they do, yeah. uh, next season, like mid season, that'll be the best job. But, mm-hmm. uh, for now I'd say the Carolina Panthers because really? the future, well, think about it. It's the future. The, the teams you're going to have to play are the saints which mm. don't have uh, much cap space. Mm. So they're not looking at signing really, really big names over the next couple of years. The Falcons were from Atlanta. I think you know how that goes. They're the favorites. Falcons are in good shape right now. They're building. Falcons are, they're moving. Arthur Smith's but got they're not, they're not, they're not great. They're not no. like a huge contender. We're not worried about like, they're not the Buffalo Bills that we have no. to worry about. They're building like and a then, souped up Tennessee Titans. Uh, yeah, and then you have years. Tampa Bay that is soon going to come off of a Brady retirement. Yeah, it could be now. It could be next year. He could play for the next five hundred years. I don't know. But I don't think he's back in Tampa Bay, regardless. Yeah. So when you have Brady moving out, people are going to move out with Brady. Brady mm-hmm. attracted so many names to that team, and when they get bigger contracts somewhere else, they're going to go because Brady's not here anymore, and they're not after that Super Bowl run with this team anymore. So the Panthers have a good shot at a very bright future if they can be coached right and they can, you know, use trading away, you know, Christian McCaffrey this year, if they can use getting rid of people like Baker Mayfield to their advantage to sign better players, I think that that is a, you know, you come in with a very bad team and Mm -hmm. it's not that hard to make it better and not even that hard overall to make it a winning team in this division. So I think, Hmm. you know, 
if I was a coach, that would be the opportunity that I would be eyeing because it's Defense just not good. that much competition in your own division. Mm-hmm. And I'm Got not coming picks. in. Yeah, I'm not coming and coaching a team that just came off of a Super Bowl where I have these super high expectations True. to get back to the playoffs immediately. It's like I have time here to build a team, and the teams around me aren't that good. So to me, that's that seems like a, a good spot for a head coach. Yeah, no quarterback tied up. You get to pick your own quarterback. You can really develop. And like you said, the market in Charlotte's not just dying to get a winner. And I think David Tepper has shown – uh, coming from the Steelers organization, being a minority owner there before buying the Panthers and giving Matt Rule as much time as he did, uh, 11 to 27 uh, during his time, not a lot of wins, but he gave him time. And I think the next coach, it seems like he is more in the the Arthur, I mean, Dan uh, Rooney's like this. And then I think Arthur Blank's like this too, where they're very loyal um, and give guys a lot of runway uh, before making any kind of uh, head coach firing so I think that's a more stable job especially than like Arizona where who knows what that's like yeah. year to year and do you want to coach Kyler and then you have the Broncos do you believe that you can fix Russell Wilson because that's your guy so if you don't believe you can fix Russ then you should stay away from that job I for me it's Houston where they have so many picks and they still I think they've drafted really well uh, in the last two years I've really liked their draft last year uh, you mentioned the division it's the same kind of thing where the AFC South, yeah, Trevor's in your division, and that's going to be a problem year over year. But like Colts, the Titans are at the end of their uh, dominance. I think there is enough there where I'm like, if I'm Houston, I'm going to take this job. Another low um, low stakes job, and I don't think they're going to be firing coaches three years in a row. Um, so I think you might, you'll probably get a little bit more runway uh, in Houston. So I don't know. Carolina, I like that one. I like that one. Uh, Cousin Logan, this was great. This is your first appearance in the pod. How do you feel? I feel good. I feel like I uh, did a good job. There you go. And always uh, always humble is what uh, the Thomas Gene uh, comes yeah. through there. Yeah. Yes. Always All right, humble. man. Well, thank you for making the time. Uh, we'll have to do this again soon. And uh, until then, tell the fam I said hello, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Love you, cuz. Love you, man. Thanks. All right, hello. Welcome back. Chase Thomas Podcast, taping this on a Thursday afternoon. First timer on the program. He's had a couple days to reflect, to feel better, uh, to move forward. Um, something that I'm very much familiar with being a Tennessee and Atlanta sports fan. Um, it's, uh, it's something I've gotten used to uh, over the years. And Alex, you had the unfortunate um, meme that came out following the, the Chargers blown 27 nothing lead where my my Atlanta Falcons uh, got blended with the Los Angeles Chargers yep. logo because of said comeback because there was a certain 20 to three comeback for uh, the Falcons uh, a couple of years ago in the Super Bowl. We don't have to discuss that. How are you? <laughs> How are you dealing with everything that it's been a been a couple days? Um, yeah, it is absolutely not the end to the season that we expected. Um, it would have been one thing to lose the Jags game. I did kind of predict them to lose to the Jags. 
Hmm. I certainly did not predict them to lose to the Jags in that way, mm-hmm. um, which is you have a 27 nothing lead, and then articles are coming out days later debating whether 28-3 was worse or whether <laughs> 27-0 was worse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uncertainty about Brandon Staley's position with the franchise, and then, you know, press conference yesterday, firing an offensive coordinator. So mm. um, it has been a wild uh, four days, I guess, you know, ever since the loss but um, yeah, a lot of change coming in Chargerland, uh, at least at the moment. And yeah, it, it's I'm doing better than I was on Saturday, and we did a live stream right after the show. Uh, but yeah, obviously, still a lot to process. Um, now that you've had a couple of days to process, who would you say is most to blame for what happened in Jacksonville in the second half? Um, I think if you're looking at it, it's the coaching staff uh, in particular. Uh, I think you go with Joe Lombardi, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chargers got five interceptions. That should have been kind of enough to seal mm-hmm. the deal. They won the, they're the first team to have five turnovers, I believe, and lose in the playoffs uh, or win the turnover differential by five. Um, and, you know, the Chargers didn't convert really, uh, even on some of the opportunities they got in the first half. Uh, you know, they were putting field goals up instead of touchdowns on short fields. And then, of course, putting up three points um, in the second half only being able to muster, you know, they couldn't muster up any running game to be able to run out the clock on the Jaguars and string drives together. Um, And that's been the story for the Chargers offense, I think, for a lot of this year, because, you know, from the outside national media perspective, you have Justin Herbert and you have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Austin Eckler. And it's like, this should work a lot easier than it is, right? But the offense has just been rough this year, right? It has been tough to sustain drives, and the offense has kind of been like pulling teeth. And I think Joe Lombardi and a lot of the type formations that he calls uh, and, you know, the inability to divert from that at times has gotten him in trouble this year. And obviously you look at Brandon Staley. Um, it, it's, you know, it, the defense did as well as it could have in the first half, but then Michael mm-hmm. Davis got hurt and uh, the Chargers didn't really have any adjustments for Doug Peterson in the second half. And Doug Peterson took that defense task uh, and scored, you know, basically almost 31 completely unanswered, which is kind of unheard of in a playoff game. So, um, you know, for me, it's the coaching staff and, you know, there's even coaching staff decisions prior to this game, like Mike Williams's availability in week 18 that we could get into. Um, but yeah, for, for me, this loss largely falls on the coaching staff uh, as opposed to, you know, the players. Yeah, I um I don't know. I remember the Falcons Chargers game, which was uh the yeah. <laughs> one of the more absurd games I've watched um in recent Falcons memory, uh that I'm sure you very much enjoyed. Like there was the Austin Eckler like rollover touchdown that wasn't where I was like, That's the most Falcons thing that's ever happened. <laughs> uh they didn't follow through on the tackle and he popped up. But like you watch that offense and you said it's like point teeth, and that was something that I had just jotted down when I'm watching that game, is just that like Herbert's making all the throws like you see it with Herbert but there's no explosion to this offense like the Falcons weren't terrified of Justin Herbert eviscerating this poor secondary like we had Armstrong and um, some weak corners in that game and y'all were beat up too I I seem to recall but like you had Gerald Everett you had Austin Eckler out of the flat um, you had Josh Palmer I think uh, Carter was a big target in that one if I seem to recall a lot of over the middle stuff with him but um, it it never felt like this terrifying uh, flamethrower offense that we've come to know with all the other elite quarterbacks, right? Like Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow. 
Like there's just fear uh, with opposing defenses when you're going up against them. And the Chargers, it never really felt like that with Justin Herbert. And it wasn't a Herbert issue. It was just more of like, it, it just doesn't feel like a lot of defensive coordinators are losing sleep over what Lombardi was going to bring to them, right? Absolutely. Um, mm. And I think you contrast that to what the Chargers were prior to Lombardi getting there in Herbert's mm. rookie year in 2020. Um, mm. You have Shane Steichen, who was the offensive coordinator then, and there were a lot of these like deep touchdown passes to Mike Williams. Uh, yeah. At the time, Jalen Guyton, Tyron Johnson was on the team then, mm. um, and it felt like a very track meet offense, right? Now, the defense was the problem then, and that's why they ended up hiring Brandon Staley in 2021 to fix the defense. Mm. But the offense has also regressed since then, and that's um, <clears throat> been the issue. And when you have a quarterback like Herbert, and you have to go up against Allen and Mahomes and Joe Burrow and all these quarterbacks in the AFC, and there's just no margin for error. Mm. It's just really hard to win games having this close to the line of scrimmage. You know, Herbert's average depth of target being like as small as it is for as powerful an arm as he has. Mm. It's just, it's really hard to run the offense that way. And I think more so than anything, it's kind of inexplicable why the offense has been run this way the last two years. Um, and they posted winning records because the team is, you know, really talented, right? Mm. They go nine and eight, and then they go ten and seven this year. And maybe if they win that Jaguars game, I don't know if Joe Lombardi would have still been employed by the team. Who knows? <laughs> you know, that's kind of alternate history. But you know, I, I do think that you could just watch that Jaguars game, and anyone who watched that game as a national TV game, mm-hmm. you could just see that like this offense was not utilizing Herbert and and everything they had uh, in the ways that they could. Right. And I think that is kind of the storyline of the Chargers, like you said, in the last two years and like you saw in the Falcons game. Yeah. And at the same time, now that we've seen both sides of this and you like you said, Shane Steichen, obviously a great OC and great mind. You're not gonna be able to pull him in. But I am curious, like uh, you mentioned casting a wide net um, on Twitter. And I'm curious, like, who do you think who is your hope? Let's do this. Who is your hope for the next offensive coordinator for the Chargers? And who do you, who's your gut telling you Brandon Staley is going to really pursue and go with? Um, hard to tell who he's really going to pursue and go with just because Staley hasn't really like narrowed down candidates. Like he hasn't been like, oh, you have to have a certain amount of experience. He's just surprised he still has his job. (laughs) (laughs) Probably there might Mm -hmm. might be a little bit surprised. You Um, you know, you know, Sean Payton's out there. He would take this job. I mean, if y'all want to keep me around, I guess I'll stay. But I mean, if it's. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I think Sean, I, I hope Sean Payton doesn't wind up in Denver as a Chargers fan. Uh, that's yeah. one of my big fears, certainly there. Um, but yeah, for, for me, if you're talking about who I think Staley is going to hire, and he was asked this by Daniel Popper at the press conference yesterday, Staley has wanted to implement a Shanahan-based kind of West Coast offense with the Chargers and Justin Herbert. And that was sort of his hope for Joe Lombardi. Mm. It never really like amounted to what Staley's expectations were. So I think, you know, uh, you could go with a lot of offensive assistants who want to run that scheme. And so that doesn't really like narrow it down because I think the league is trending in that direction more so anyway. Um, But for me, if you're talking about my dream as an offensive coordinator, Uh, And it's going to be incumbent on him not getting the Cardinals job or the Panthers job that he's interviewing for uh, as the head coach. But it's Frank Reich, uh, Hmm. who was formerly the offensive coordinator of the Chargers back in the day, uh, back in the San Diego days. But um, he's really grown and developed a lot as an offensive coordinator and a play caller since then. Obviously, people remember him with the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl, posted a winning record in Indianapolis in five seasons, despite what he was given, you know, on offense and at quarterback. I just think he is the guy that t- can take Herbert to this next level. Everyone saw that what he's done with Foles and, and Wentz in Philadelphia. 
uh, what he did with Wentz in Indianapolis, you know, kind of rebuilding his career, what he did with a late stage Philip Rivers, who as Chargers fans watched in 2019, you know, for uh, our team, he, he looked cooked, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, then the Colts turn around and make the playoffs and make this kind of good run with him. And obviously, you know, got the best out of Andrew Luck and Jacoby Brissett as well. So Frank Reich is very much a, a quarterback whisperer. He is a veteran play caller. And the Chargers firing Joe Lombardi in this circumstance, I don't know if there's a better offensive coordinator you could possibly fall into uh, than Frank Reich, who just happens to be available because the Colts went with Jeff Saturday as their head coach uh, to finish the season and, and scapegoated uh, Frank Reich. So for me, he would be the optimal uh, offensive coordinator hire. I think it's going to be Scott Turner because everything has to just time is a flat circle and we just need to continue on the Turner legacy in uh, (laughs) Charger land. So he is now open for a position and uh, I think that's what you do. You just uh, you run it back and Scott Turner can eventually take over from interim once uh, once Brandon Staley's fired. And then uh, I'm sorry, that's that's all very main, but. Is there I, I, at I least hope a part that doesn't of you that's happen. like, oh my god, it might be Scott Turner. Yeah, I, I hope that doesn't happen with Scott Turner. Um, Washington was pretty rough to watch this year mm-hmm. as a whole. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if it's going to be Scott Turner, although I would be very dismayed if it was. But uh, yeah, I, 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 hope, I just hope that 27-0 turns into a positive change at offensive coordinator. Mm whomever it is um but yeah i think there's a couple guys that you know that are hot head coaching candidate or offense coordinator candidates right now chargers good luck after um if you're looking for another quarterback whisperer you have uh brian johnson in philadelphia who's going to get some offensive coordinator looks after when he's done with Dak prescott and kyle trask and jalen hurts has also mm-hmm. called plays before um you know you can look at uh joe brady who i think is also going to get some looks as well as the bills quarterback coach Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know you can kind of you know I think everyone sort of has the same four or five names like more or less that are like really hot offensive coordinator candidates this cycle but all these same guys sort of run you know similar west coast offense schemes and you know if you're looking to maximize Herbert you want that kind of quarterback whisperer guy to do it interesting um biggest offseason question facing the Chargers is what uh, yeah, I mean, who they hire at offensive coordinator is absolutely the biggest question because mm-hmm. Brandon Staley just and Tom Telesco cannot ha- afford to have this offense be what it was this year, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're just kind of asking potentially for another wild card elimination. You're you're asking, you know, and they have a harder schedule next year too. Mm-hmm. Like the Chargers, um, uh, I believe, they face a bunch of like ten win playoff teams next year. Uh, you got the Cowboys coming. Yeah, you know, of course, they're still in the AFC West. You got the Chiefs twice a year. You got the Broncos, who are probably going to be better depending on the head coach that they hire, right? Um, Brady might go to Vegas, right? So who knows what that's going to be. But I think the Chargers are going to have really difficult schedule going forward, partially because of their second place uh, finish within the division. And so for me, I just think you have to have this offense, you know, be capable of consistently putting up more than 27, you know, uh, points per game. Like you just have to have them as a top five offense in the league. Otherwise, uh, it's not going to work. And I think the pressing issue is just Staley's leadership as a whole, right? Yeah, Staley said in his press conference yesterday he's going to be the defensive coordinator going forward as as the play caller, right? So I think a lot of people thought, oh, maybe there'll be a change there, uh, and they get another, you know, uh, defensive coordinator and just kind of allow Staley to be like a CEO head coach type of deal. But he's going to call the plays, and this defense uh, in two years they were 20th in the NFL this year and Staley uh, kind of defended that in his press conference yesterday saying they were you know sixth in the NFL if you look over the last month or they were the number one defense in the last month specifically 
Um, so that's sort of like how he defended it. But at the same time, for the whole year, you're ranked 20th. And they did deal with a lot of injuries. They dealt with a lot of attrition. Um, but, you know, that's not necessarily going to be something that's an excuse from year to year, especially when the Chargers were actually really healthy, if you look at 2021. And then they experienced kind of bad injury luck this year. Um, but, yeah, for me, uh, those are the two main questions are just how do you kind of revamp this offense and defense for this team to get them to the next level while also having limited resources because they don't really have the cap space that they did last year when they traded for Cleo Mack and signed JC Jackson and made all these, you know, big power play moves. Do you think this roster was good enough to win the title is currently constructed going into the playoffs? Um, I think anytime you have Justin Herbert on your roster, you are good enough to win a title. Right. And I mean, mm-hmm. this is such a quarterback heavy league. Uh, and you know, they were supposed to get Rashawn Slater back against the chiefs. Uh, if that were to have happened, then obviously you have a really solid offensive line. Mm. Uh, you obviously have Keenan Allen, you have Mike Williams, you have Austin Eckler. Um, I, I would say, yes, this is a good enough roster to win an offense if they get some key supplementary players. Um, I think you have to look to get some explosiveness to the offense in the draft. Mm. Um, that is going to be, I think, a key, whether that's a wide receiver in round one or even boosting the tight end position. But as currently constructed, I think this is a team that can keep up with the Chiefs if they're coached the right way offensively. This is a team that can uh, keep up with Josh Allen and the Bills if they are coached the right way offensively. And you can just see the last two years that this offense was, you know, largely misused. So not that they're stacked roster compared to the rest of the AFC or anything, but they're on that level. And I think that it's just about maximizing what you get out of Justin Herbert at this point, which they haven't really done yet. The biggest name not on this team next year is who? Ooh, this is an interesting question. I think you could potentially look at Keenan Allen. Hmm. Um, I think that the Chargers, uh, Daniel Popper of The Athletic had said on a recent podcast that the Chargers didn't really look into trading him next year, but you know there was some trade buzz uh, in the organization around Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen is heading into effectively what is the last like expiring year on his deal. Mm. Um, he technically does have a year in 2024, but the Chargers have an out in terms of guaranteed money. So it is 2023 is effectively the last year on his contract as they built it. He is going to be 32, uh, mm. if I'm correct, next season. And, you know, he had uh, multiple, you know, kind of groin injuries, was in and out of the lineup this year. And so for me, if you're looking at him, I think that he ended up having a pretty good season for what it's worth for the amount of time that he missed. But I wouldn't be surprised just because in a league where you have Jamar Chase and you have Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis in Buffalo, you know, um, you have, you know, Mahomes, uh, obviously with the, the Chiefs. I just think you need a little bit more explosiveness. And mm-hmm. Keenan Allen is a mastermind route runner technician in the, in the way that we talk about, like, Devontae Adams, but he's a little bit older and he doesn't quite have that same burst that he used to in his routes. So, you know, if you kind of want to run it back with Mike Williams and maybe like, um, speaking of Tennessee, like a Jalen Hyatt uh, Mm. kind of player in the draft, then, you know, I think that that's something the Chargers can do. You could also go after Zay Flowers or a number of other receivers. But for me, um, I, I wouldn't bet that he's off the roster, but I do think they probably kick the tires on a trade at least jalen's a south carolina kid uh he likes uh the warm weather i think he would enjoy uh being uh being in los angeles that'd be fun uh i'd like to see him there um a couple more real quick uh do they need another back 
to pair with Austin Eckler next year. Yeah, I mean, what they got out of Joshua Kelly this year was actually pretty good, but it was also hard to tell how much Joshua Kelly did improve because Mm. this runs game was so limited, right, Mm. at points. You had moments like the Rams game where I thought Austin Eckler and, and Josh Kelly really played well and, you know, both had really good games they were going up against a pretty battered defensive line mm. that game whenever they've gone against a pretty good defensive line especially like jacksonville in this playoff game it's just been bad scheming in my opinion mm. um the chargers uh right side of the offensive line is a lot better than their left side without Rashawn mm. slater and the chargers still decided to run to the left like uh, you know almost kind of unanimously in or they ran up the middle in the in the jag in the jags game and you know so a lot of it is a scheming issue i think lombardi just never really figured out how to utilize the run game outside of you know occasionally a couple austin eckler explosions or you know austin eckler in the screen game but Mm. outside of that he didn't really have a great way of utilizing the running backs in this offense so kind of hard to tell obviously if you find a free agent running back um or maybe even a running back towards you know the first three rounds of the draft that you really like then i think they take the chance but they've also invested some decent capital at running back and just haven't had the results behind austin eckler um, who ironically kind of went undrafted and is, you know, their best running back. They uh, spent two six-round picks on their current running back roster. Uh, or, sorry, a fourth-round pick on Joshua Kelly, a six-round pick on Larry Roundtree, and then they spent a fourth round on Isaiah Spiller, who hasn't been able to really crack the lineups this year, right? So they spent three day-three picks on running backs, which is decent enough capital, but just haven't gotten the results from it so far interesting we all can't be arthur smiths out there we all can't right. just turn the tyler algiers into uh, baby man I, I wish we had cordero patterson uh, that was like the one player that like i wrote about last offseason and i was like man he'd be perfect with the chargers and just watching our offense it's like you just need that kind of explosive player so i'm i'm very jealous of cordero patterson in atlanta well i think he's done i don't think he's coming back i think this is yeah. it for him in atlanta so maybe you can get him this offseason i don't maybe. know maybe hopefully uh last thing where can Justin Herbert actually get better? We've talked all glowingly about Justin Herbert. He's obviously an elite quarterback, but like, where can he actually still get better to um, take that next step and really evolve even more as a top tier quarterback in this league? I think there's been pretty like decent criticisms of Justin Herbert. One is this year, uh, definitely in contrast to 2021, after he sustained the rib injury in mm. week two. Justin Herbert was very hesitant about using his legs, um, particularly Hmm. in, you know, any time he would try to run for a first down. They didn't really design, you know, not that Herbert took design runs like he was Jalen Hurts or something in 2021, Hmm. but they still really never have, like, accessed that thing. And Herbert is an incredible athlete. He's had big 20-plus yard runs in games in 2021, and we just didn't see that this year as a result of what the offensive line was and as a result of his rib injury he sustained against the Chiefs. I think he became a more hesitant runner and the Chargers as a coaching staff just wouldn't call it. So, I mean, if you can kind of unlock that part of Justin Herbert's game um, and, you know, not make him a running quarterback, but give him the option that Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes have when plays break down Mm -hmm. and those guys are just kind of like able to use their legs, even Joe Burrow to an extent uh, does as well. I think that that's part of taking it to the next level on this offense. Um, And yeah, I would just say... The other thing is just sometimes the touch that he puts on passes as well, because sometimes Herbert does do this thing where he sort of treats every ball like he's throwing at 100 miles an hour, Mm -hmm. um, which is good on some plays, but 
then when he sort of does need that touch, uh, you know, even kind of the ball that he missed uh, in the Jaguars game to Keenan Allen, who was wide open in the end zone, and mm-hmm. he just sort of sailed it. Um, I, sometimes the Chargers, I think the last two years, have uh, come close or have been near the top of the league in drops. And part of that has been the wide receiver play, but part of that has also been Herbert kind of throwing these, you know, really fast balls in tight space that, you know, in a sense is good because he's putting it in a place where only the receivers have been getting it. But also it's been hard for receivers to kind of adjust to, you know, the timing and, you know, the, the I guess, hardness, if you want to say, of how he throws. For, so for me, I would just say the touch, depending on the situation, you don't, you don't have to throw every ball like it's 100 miles an hour. Uh, and so for me, especially as the Chargers kind of improve in the short passing game and, and the offense isn't as congested next year, I would just like to see him, you know, take uh, improve the touch uh, of his passes and get to a level where like Tom Brady and like Aaron Rodgers have been uh, in the league where, you know, they are able to put the ball uh, wherever on the field without necessarily like rocketing it in there. Um, and that's still going to be a big part of Justin Herbert's game. It's part of the you know appeal of his arm. But I would just like to see him have a little bit more touch uh, and decisiveness on his throws sometimes. Interesting. I'm going to deal with that with Joe Milton this fall. Uh, here at Tennessee, he has yeah. uh, a rocket arm, and uh, he only throws 100 miles an hour, and it's uh, <laughs> it's a wild experience when that's what your quarterback's uh, a ball is. Uh, Alex, this has been great. I greatly appreciate the time. Uh, yep. You can check out your pod, Guilty as Charged, right here on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Uh, what can the good folks check out from you and the team this week? Yeah, uh, so we're going to be all over the offensive coordinator search as the Chargers start to interview candidates. I think after they eventually hire an offensive coordinator, we might take like a week or so break for a while after mm. how you know strenuous this season has definitely been, uh, covering it day in and day out. Uh, but you can check us out there for all your you know Chargers content if you want to follow that. We also you know uh, talk about sort of the rest of the things that are happening in the NFL around the Chargers as well. So always fun, and we love covering we love covering free agency, and we especially love covering the draft and and discovering you know that's you know unfortunately as the chargers lose in the playoffs and lose this lead to jacksonville that is what the next pivot is is watching that draft film and you know finding some studs uh that you like in the draft for the team to potentially draft but we always love talking about the draft uh when it comes around so yeah uh follow us for all the off-season content and uh you know hopefully the chargers don't lose 27-0 in the playoffs next year (laughs) if you follow us for the long term so uh can't promise that but very excited to still cover the team awesome well thank you so much for the time uh enjoy the offseason enjoy the break and good luck on the oc search and we'll have to circle back again soon thanks for having me on thanks alex all right hello welcome back chase thomas podcast taping this on a thursday evening it's mr will warren stats by will himself Will, good evening, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Um, I'm I'm alive after <laughs> mm-hmm. I completely uh, buried the Kentucky Wildcats last week. Mm-hmm. I feel responsible personally mm-hmm. for their rise, and so I I have come to beg and grovel at the feet of a uh, one. Uh, I'm presuming it's John. He can't be Jonathan. John Calipari. I bet you he is Jonathan, right? Like most people are. But, yeah. but I know several Johns that are just John. Do you really? Yeah. So the Jonathans I know are J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N. True. Not J-O-H-N-A-T-H-A-N. That's probably true. Hmm. He's probably John then. I don't know. That's a good question. What is let's, his uh, full name? Let's find, let's find out. Yeah. John Vincent Calipari. 
Calipari, there you go. Whatever. Vincent is strong. I could see him being a Vincent first name. Vincent Vince Calipari would also work for him. Vince Calipari would be cooler. Mm-hmm. I think like it. Vince Calipari sounds like a guy who is sweating a lot on the sidelines and is leading like 21 win St. Joseph's to the 11 seed. There you go. Um, well, here's the thing. I'm not going to blame you for the, the rise on Saturday for the Wildcats. You know who I'm going to blame? Severe, severe Wheeler. Because him being out for that game and then Kentucky this week we found is like they've realized Severe Wheeler is not one of their five best players. And uh, it just... It was bad luck where they figured that out the day of the Tennessee game. Like, if Wheeler plays, I will bang this gavel to the end. Tennessee wins that game. I think Severe Wheeler being the odd man out now. Um, Kentucky fans have been saying this for months, that they're like, mm-hmm. Severe Wheeler is quietly not working out this year, and we have a better five. And unfortunately, Tennessee was the first team to experience Kentucky kind of figuring out who the best group of five they should be playing uh, together at this point. It's uh, that and that Damian Collins, who is, uh, sorry to be rude, far and away the worst player on that team, not mm. playing a single second. Uh, really unlucky for Tennessee there, to be yeah. honest, because otherwise it would have just like, Cal would have done something like benching Chris Livingston for uh, Damian Collins for Collins to go 0 for 5, mm. and Tennessee probably wins. But, yeah. Uh, but it, the the Wheeler thing is really interesting because it's a... Uh, um, I guess by my proximity of being a Tennessee writer, I follow several UK people now Mm -hmm. and like largely they're like, generally they're very civil. Like Mm -hmm. I really do not think Kentucky fans online are that rude aside from like your usual jokers and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, But they have had an all out war for like the last week about severe wheelers uh, value to the team. Yes. Uh, And like, they're like blocking each other. It's like the, it's a little battle inside the battle. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what side I'm on but there, but it's, it's kind of like the advanced stats nerd versus the that boy. Nice guys. Yes. Uh, severe will are not nice, frankly, not a good player to watch, but uh, advanced stats wise, he shakes out mm. pretty well. So I don't know where I stand. Yeah. Well, I think he's the odd man out at least for a while. Um, yeah. I think that's just kind of where they're at. It's like, Hey, this is uh, unfortunately what happened here. They figured it out and that's just where we're headed. And they, they finally figured out his, his one, like signature move which is just like driving to the basket and then doing the Derek jeter pass 30 feet back to the three-point line Mm -hmm. and south carolina won the game when he made that pass yeah well look i just i don't think the sky's falling i'm not really i'm not freaking out about uh kentucky winning that that game against tennessee on saturday it just it sucked more with the circumstances where it's like candace is back houston's back um chris lofton's retirement it just that is what what sucked is like the circumstances around that and Barnes's own Kentucky for the majority of his time here at Tennessee that you're like, okay, this would have been great to happen on like a Tuesday, Wednesday night, uh, randomly <laughs> in February. This is not what we needed at Saturday at noon, uh, for this. That tip. was the thing. Cause you just kept stewing on it the rest mm-hmm. of the day. Yes. So you're just annoyed. You're like that was dumb. What a dumb loss. Yeah. Um, but you, it's one of those where it's like, you know, as a fan, you'd prefer it in January versus March. True. But it also reaffirms everybody's worst fears and everybody gets way more annoying online. So That's true. Um, I want to start here. Your coach of the year to this point in the season is who, Will? Who would you say right now is your stats by Will, Will Warren's coach of the year on January 19th? I, I think, and I've stood by this for a while, but it's impossible to do given mm-hmm. how college basketball is structured. 
that there should be three coaches of the year every year. Hmm. You should have a power six coach of the year. Mm. You should have a multi-bid mid-major league coach of the year. And then you have a single bid uh, hmm. coach of the year. Okay. But we don't do that because we don't do things logically in college sports. So mm-hmm. I have a short list of five and I'm just okay. going to go, I'm, I'm going to go one through five and how I would personally vote. Okay. So coach of the year for me right now, Pat Kelsey, College of Charleston. We'll get I, more into I, them in a second. Yeah, I, I'm ready to talk more about them for sure. Um, Kelvin Sampson at Houston, because mm. uh, it's kind of, it's strange because I don't think this is one-to-one, but it's as close as one-to-one I'm going to get. So mm. it's kind of like how Nick Saban and Kirby Smart never win coach of the year because you're always like, well, they're supposed to be top two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that doesn't make it any less uh, like impressive, the accomplishments they have when True. they you know make good on it. Like. Mm. Houston's built this program from basically nothing mm-hmm. and Kelvin's ever seen it. And I think if, if he won it this year, it'd be kind of more of a career achievement award hmm. that cause like Pat Kelsey definitely has the stronger case given expectations and like talent of the roster. But at some point we got to give the best coach, the best coach award. Um, but the other three, Randy Bennett at St. Mary's really hmm. impressed with what he's done this year, especially on defense and then two that I think have flown well under the radar, but deserve their flowers, so to speak. Jay Ladner at Southern Miss, a mm. team that went seven and twenty-six last year, I believe is a fourteen and five right now. In- incredible year-over-year turnaround. Like they're on pace to win, I think twenty-one or twenty-two games, mm-hmm. which is amazing considering that they've won seventeen total the last two seasons. Uh, and then Leon Rice at Boise State. That man mm. just keeps winning basketball games. They're never like they never have the San Diego State COVID year season where they're mm-hmm. like top five or whatever, but they are never bad at any point. They are always consistently just like solid, tough to deal with. And then this year, I was looking through, you know, I think I tweeted this out on Monday or so. The uh, the list of teams with um, seven or more quarter on wins, and you look through the list, and it's kind of like your you know general unsurpri- unsurprising entrance, right? Like. Kansas has 11, UCLA has eight, Tennessee's got seven. You want to know uh, who one of these teams is? There's 13 teams with seven more quad one, two wins. It's Boise State. Hmm. They got a freaking good resume. And, I mean, they're kind of very quietly on pace to end up at the end of the season as a seven or eight seed again. Hmm. And they don't have, I mean, like, we all think of, like, Boise State as having a ton of, like, support through football, but we don't think about their basketball program very often. Leon Rice should get some coach of the year votes this year. Also, if you're Washington or uh, Oregon State or Cal, he should be one of your first calls this offseason if you make a change. I think Boise State's probably a better job than at least two of those three, if not all three. It's not better than Washington. Washington. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not better than Washington. But yeah, you're right. Against Oregon State and Cal, yeah. um, He, He has actually, and the problem with him... Mm. that uh, in that specific situation is that he's a Washington State alumnus. Hmm. So I don't know that he would be willing to go coach at Washington. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I think, I mean, uh, Justin Wilcox, uh, Cal's football coach, he was, uh, he's an Oregon alumnus, if I recall. Okay. And like some guys, like they overlook it. They're like, yeah, that might be the pool to like where you finish like your dream job. But you're like, mm. it's still a power five. And it's also a significant pay bump. I'm going to go ahead and guess if you go from Boise to UW. I'm going to guess that's also something that you can overlook your alma mater if uh, there's a nice pay up involved. 
How about uh, how about Leon Rice at Stanford? Yeah, because uh, Stanford one. should be firing their coach literally any day because he's bad. <laughs> something we were on this offseason, by the way. We yeah, were saying something Stanford. we talked. That was one of about three things we got right the entire mm-hmm. offseason. Well, Cal too. Like we were both just yeah, like, there's true. no, there's no path for Cal and Stanford to be good this year, and they're probably both uh, entering a change. Um, that's interesting. I I think for me, something that you didn't name that I'd probably throw in. I think Shaka's smart. Marquette yeah, quietly has really a number high. two offense. Like that was kind of a dormant program uh, for the last few years with it. another ex. Hey, this guy coached under Mike Chichesky, uh, so he should work and uh, did not really work uh, for many years. Um, they were fine, just not not really breaking through. Like Marquette's got the number two offense in college basketball right now. Like they're fifteen and five. They're they're a good story, solid tournament team. Like I think Shaka Smart deserves credit for leaving Texas, better resources, better players, and has been great at Marquette. I think he's he's in that category too. Mm. Uh, uh, one that has faded mm. that I think would have been like a shoe in top five vote two weeks ago is Dan Hurley. Mm. Uh, and they st- they can still fix it, obviously. They got a lot of talent. But he'd be on the periphery. And then uh, um, a guy that I think should be getting more votes than I, I don't think he's getting any attention at all is a, our man Dan D'Antoni at Marshall. Mm. He's really, been there forever. Really, good team. He has been there forever. That guy he has- is 75 years old. Is he really? Yes. That doesn't surprise me because that man has been there for a long time. He's Mike, obviously Mike's <laughs> brother. But yeah, he's been there. Man. Let's see, because he's from West uh, West Virginia. So is uh, Mike. He is has been there since 2014. Yeah, 18 years. Or that, eight it years, is, It is me. amazing. High school coach for 30 years, NBA assistant <laughs> for 10. And then he's just like, let's go do Marshall. Yeah, it's a good gig, man. Uh, it's a good yeah. gig. He's also in that. I also think it's funny, too. I feel like you're Matt Painter. You're like, what do you all want me to do? Like, I have the number one yeah. offense again. I lose Jaden Ivey, and Zach Eady is the player of the year. And I also have a top 28 defense like i've fixed the defense like what more do y'all want me to do um are you not entertained like he's the gladiator saying just every every night he's like what more do y'all want from me am i not the best coach this year yeah mick cronin kind of could get some of that too Hmm. yeah that's true um well you mentioned charleston who is 18 and one uh as of this week um where are you at with him so with pat kelsey doing a great job obviously with charleston you're obviously a big charleston fan you love going there i think you went on vacation there not too long ago well if i seem to recall um great city highly Mm -hmm. recommend charleston beautiful campus but they're also just a top 25 basketball program right now and they're just really really good explain charleston breaking through in a bigger way this year and what what kelsey's doing that's just been so great We'll have to talk about Pat Kelsey again when we get to the Notre Dame segment because I mm. think that's going to be something. But um, they play a very attractive style of basketball, play mm-hmm. very fast offensively, uh, pound the boards, take a ton of threes. They don't really, they're not super efficient at making the threes, but they rebound so many of them that it's, I mean, they rarely will take a truly bad shot. Mm. And they, they have such a fascinating roster to me because none of these guys were anything at all recruit wise out of high school like mm. dalton bolin who is uh one of their leading scorers was a d2 player for west liberty university who wore an eye patch for two years because his eye got poked in a game and he couldn't see out of it for a year 
Wow. That's the type of guys they've been recruiting. <laughs> like, they, they get these dudes who are total cast-offs, like guys that nobody wanted. Mm-hmm. And Pat Kelsey, God bless him, appears to be just the exact perfect type of guy to make the most of it. Mm-hmm. I, I was a little, maybe not skeptical would be the right term, but wasn't totally sure how it would work because... You know, he had some success at Winthrop, but Winthrop's been a job where generally everybody who's been there uh, has Mm. had some amount of success. It's like the Murray State quandary. Yeah. Uh, But for him to go into Charleston and, you know, they they won 17 games last year, which doesn't seem like a lot, um, Mm. given that Earl Grant didn't make the tournament there. But, you know, they he comes right in and it's just immediately a lot more exciting. They almost beat UNC at home last season. And then to come in this year, they win their little mini tournament in Charleston. You beat Virginia Tech and Kent State, and that Kent State win looks really good right about now. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, aside from a road blemish against North Carolina where they roasted UNC's defense, uh, that's it. I mean, yeah, now 19 and 1, 18 and 1 against D1 competitions. So that should be mm-hmm. clarified. But they have, per Ken Palm, an 11% chance of winning out in conference play. Um, which is not high, but I would think surely mm-hmm. if they went out, they're 30 and one, we're not going to have to worry about an at large. Like they would be in. Yeah. I think even 29 and two should lock them in. Maybe even 28 and three, we're going to see. But um, I don't know, man. I, I'm not totally sold on the quality, but I'm very sold on the viewing experience and overall system of Pat Kelsey and Charleston. What do you think their seeding is right now? If they go, like you say, like they only lose one more game and they win the tournament, where do you think they land? Um, again, it's really going to depend, but I think as of now, you're probably looking at something close to like a, a 11 seed or so hmm. if they get in, maybe a 12. The, uh, the problem for them is going to be, one, the net ranking is not spectacular because they don't really blow teams out. They are 7-0 and in games decided by six points or less. Mm. which is amazing for racking up the wins, but not great for, you know, racking up your margin of victory. And that they have kind of run into a problem where through no fault of their own, there's no other very good CAA team. Like the best option is Hofstra probably, and Hofstra is 125th in Torvik. Mm. And Virginia Tech has come in well below expectation. Colorado State is a lot worse than expected. Davidson is worse than expected. Even North Carolina has come in well under what we thought they would be. Mm-hmm. So all, like what looked like a very impressive schedule two months ago no longer is. But it doesn't matter if you win a lot of games. Like if they, let's say they go 29 and two and whatever happens, happens in the conference tournament, they are going to be the very rare 32 and two, 10 or 11 seed. Yeah. But I mean, that's still a massive accomplishment for them. Hmm. I wonder how they get more respect. I guess like if you're a, a bigger school, like do you want any part of this Pat Kelsey group in your uh, December yeah. non-conference schedule? No. And that's, that's why like you should just straight up not schedule them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's the, they've run into the Loy before Loyola Chicago decided to uh, fall apart this season. They ran into mm-hmm. the Loyola cor- uh, corridor of, <laughs> I've got to let Cedric out the Loyola corridor of um, mm-hmm. being too good mm-hmm. to uh, get any good opponents to come to your place anymore. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you're going to run into the same thing with Charleston if he stays, of course. That's the important piece. Mm-hmm. If Pat Kelsey stays, this is a really good video, by the way. <laughs> I can't wait for people to see it. If Pat Kelsey stays, um, then I don't think they're going to get this whole like mini tournament in Charleston. 
they're not going to be able to like have North Carolina come to their place anymore. Mm-hmm. It's I don't know I I but uh, I mean, they'll get there when we get there with when they get there right like that's a future them problem. Yeah, I want South Carolina and Clemson have to play them year over year now. Like South Carolina play- should just be forced to play everybody on the road at this point. <laughs> not to be rude. <laughs> Um, you, you earn your home games when you win. There you go. Um, speaking of just rough programs this year, um, Oregon State, uh, I think they're 7-11 and 11 as of this recording. Um, just terrible Kempom scores all across the board. You were pretty low on Oregon State. Is there, like, what what optimism would you shed? Or would you just say, like, this is just, this is rough and nobody's fixing this right now? The optimism I would shed is that they live in Oregon, which is a very pretty state, and they should go outside instead of watching the basketball (laughs) team play. Um, No, I honestly though, the all you can sell at this point, Mm -hmm. and I mean, frankly, I think people should have seen this coming. Oregon State has sucked for seven years straight, outside of one random, unrepeatable, complete fluke of a tournament run, and they beat Tennessee. I know, really stupid, but I, I mean, like. They they were not a good basketball team that year, but they got mm. hot at the right time, and that's awesome. Like, I mean, you get to remember that forever. Nobody can ever take that away from you. Mm-hmm. But that did not suddenly make them a good program. I mean, we so Ken Palm expects them to finish four and sixteen in the Pac twelve, <sighs> ten and twenty one overall, and that would be the third time in seven seasons they've won ten or fewer games. Hmm. So I, I, and the problem is that after the fluke Elite Eight run, they locked Wayne Tinkle into a huge contract for them, huge contract yeah. that's going to be really hard to get out of, uh, unless they can you know agree to a reduced buyout or something. But uh, I just don't see the path forward here. I understand they're one of the least experienced teams in college hoops. Like they have two seniors on the entire roster. Uh, they project to bring pretty much everybody back, but. At the same time, this is the portal era. Mm-hmm. Do you think that entire team is going to return, you know, intact? Certainly not. No. I mean, we we've seen this happen with other schools. That, for I wonder if we're going to see it with Louisville. That's another story, though. Um, but I just don't think that this is going to work. And the problem is, it then becomes a thing of like, who do you even hire? Yeah. Because my my first thought here. And this is just frankly like this is the level they can get is like go get the best coach out of the big sky. Like Mm -hmm. go hire Eastern Washington's guy, David Riley. Go hire Montana State's guy, Danny Sprinkle. You Mm -hmm. can go from Tinkle to Sprinkle. How good would that be? Right there is your thing. So you had – shoot, his name – so it was Portland State I'm thinking of. They had a coach named like Ken Bone before that was a guy. Hmm. Uh, so you, or, uh, everybody in Oregon's got these really horny names, which is disgusting. <laughs> so you go from Wayne Tinkle to Danny Sprinkle, you got something going. And then imagine if they ever bring the tournament you back to Hinkle. Going. Imagine, imagine you make the tournament, you go to Hinkle, Sprinkle and Hinkle. You had Tinkle and Hinkle mm-hmm. already. There you go. I just... Can you tell I haven't watched Oregon State play in two years? There's no reason to. I don't think Oregon State fans have watched Oregon State play in two years. They shouldn't have. They'd be a lot happier. Um, Rutgers, though, speaking of dormant programs that, hey, they are maybe turned the corner. Like, they have one of the best defenses in college basketball this year. They have a good 
system, a good identity. Like, you know what you're getting with Rutgers basketball at this point. Um, and that's a thing. Find your niche. There is a niche over there in uh, Piscataway, New Jersey. And they just landed Ace Bailey, a five-star kid. I, What do you make of where Rutgers is going? Like, when you look at the Big Ten, and it's a deep conference, obviously, but... I mean, they've been playing above expectations. Their defense is solid. Like, what can they really be, and how big of a deal is Ace Bailey or the kind of scheme that you see uh, Rutgers uh, utilizing? Rutgers basketball gives off a lot of the vibes of, like, peak Pat Fitzgerald Northwestern. Yeah. Where they – this is not – to be rude, but they are kind mm-hmm. of unwatchable a lot of nights. Yeah. But that's because they are so good and so nasty defensively. Like, I I can't remember which coach it was. Maybe it was Matt Painter who said, or is Brad Underwood one, mm. who said, if I ever got in a street fight, I would want those Rutgers guys with me. He's right. <laughs> like, yeah. they, we talk a lot about, like, finding your identity in college sports. Mm-hmm. Rutgers very much has their identity. I mean, they are physical. They are brutally hard to play against. Their little bandbox of a gym is a horrible place to try and win. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen them pull off some crazy upsets in years past. Um, but that that's a program I really like. Steve Peichel, that dude can coach. And, you know, for, for the good of the sport, I really hope he stays around long term. I don't totally know what job would pull him away at this point. Short mm-hmm. of like if UConn somehow opened, but even even so, I I don't think, I mean like he's got it made there right now where he's, you've got fan investment, you've got university investment, they're willing to give you what you need, and now your hard work is being paid off by landing great recruits like Ace Bailey, mm-hmm. and you know personally, two of us being Tennessee guys, huge relief because this guy was widely expected to go to Kentucky. Auburn. So thank you, yeah. Steve Peichel. <laughs> Absolutely. And I also just think it's cool to see, like, it's not fun. Like, Kentucky is obviously not even doing that all that much with their five yeah. stars of late. Like, spread it out a little bit. And I like uh, just random, like, it can go the Gigi Jackson way at uh, South Carolina, but it also <laughs> can go uh, the Ace Bailey way um, in Rutgers. And I think it's probably more reason for optimism there. Um, yeah. Do you think they're a tournament team? Oh, yeah. Rutgers is easily a tournament team. Okay. I, I think, one, if the Big Ten tournament were to happen tomorrow, I would have a hard time being swayed away from picking Rutgers to win the entire thing. Really? Uh, I think they, I mean, their defense in those little one-off games, that is a hard thing to crack. Hmm. Much more so than, like, Purdue's improved defensively. They're better than they were a year ago. Yeah. But I, I still Here don't are the teams better them. than Rutgers defensively this year. Tennessee, Houston, end of list. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would, I think that's cor- correct, yes. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I think Rutgers, it, it's gonna, we're gonna have to see how this shakes out because there's a lot of season left. And as I look at bracket, bracket matrix right now, they're up to a five seed. Mm-hmm. There is a very realistic path for them ending up like a three seed by season's end. Mm. I, I'm all the way in on them. And it's gonna be really weird, but it's gonna be really cool to be talking about good Rutgers um. in any sport. <laughs> Without looking, who would you guess is the only team uh, with six losses and still has a top 10 defense in college basketball right now in Kimpon? It's going to be like San Diego State or someone. Do you want me to tell you? 
Oh, let me think on this. Uh, I'm going to cook it up really quick. It is... And excuse me, I meant eight losses. Sorry, eight I said oh, six. Creighton. I meant... Not Creighton. Oklahoma State. It is Oklahoma State. Ten okay. and eight, and they have a top eight defense. Number seventh. Number seven. That, those guys love not scoring unless they have Cade Cunningham on their team. Yeah. Is his dad still on staff, or was it his uncle? Who was it? It was some relative. Yeah. Um, I wonder if they... really seem to be helping, frankly. That's just sad job like they were we grew up with good oklahoma state cowboy basketball and that's just uh it's a program just outside of the Cade cunningham blip not not trending in the right direction i would say <laughs> um this is gonna be interesting your biggest hot take will give me your biggest hot take that you wanted to share here on uh, this edition of the program you're so excited like because i've got two will is like to peel back the curtain a little bit i've always said this about will one of the many reasons I love uh, Will is that, like, he says, like, he can be as, as tough on somebody as I've ever heard, but it sounds so nice. Like, Will <laughs> is, like, he's got the sports radio personality takes, but they don't come off like Mad Dog, Chris Russo. Mm. Like, it's just, it, it's so funny. It, he, he can get away with anything because it's just, it sounds so nice. Will, what's your hot take? I feel like it's going to be mean. Uh, I've got two. No, one is positive and one is negative. And mm-hmm. I like, I'm going with the positive one first. Okay. But I can't do like the Grover from Sesame Street voice <laughs> tonight where it sounds like I smoked a pack. Uh, but hot take number one, Northwestern is making the NCAA tournament. Oh. oh. They're getting in. I'm all in on this team. I do not enjoy watching them. I don't advise watching them. I think you should like, you know, Put some screws in your cereal and chew that up before you watch a Northwestern basketball game. Uh, this is a team that ranks 339th in field goal percentage. But I'm ready to believe their defense is elite. They are incredible at blocking shots, incredible mm-hmm. at forcing tough twos. And whenever I'm looking for teams like this, I'm always like, all right, which team is unlucky and has deserved better results? Northwestern kind of matches it. Like they should have beaten Rutgers. One hundred percent should have beaten Auburn back in November in that forty-three to forty-two disaster game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I look at the rest of their schedule, pretty favorable, pretty quick. Like they only played two top thirty teams the rest of the season: hmm. Purdue at home, Rutgers on the road. Split hmm. those. Take care of business elsewhere. Like if they get to the Big Ten tournament with nineteen or more wins, I think they're on the right side of the bubble because that means they're going to be ten and eight or. Yeah, 10 and 8 in Big Ten play. How many over-under? Julia Louis-Dreyfus has shown seven times uh, for the first-round game for Northwestern in the tournament. Would she still attend it? Because I thought that was just because she had a kid on the... Or, like, a relative or something on the roster. I think her kid played, if I remember correctly. Okay. But maybe they're both in the stands together. I was going to say, they probably come back. Uh, Better better yet. Over-under, like, 23 times an announcer tells you that Chase Ottajay is the best basketball player on the team Mm. uh, after he misses nine mid-range jumpers in a row. Um, Over-under five, how many times the announcers tell you that they lost their big center uh, to Duke and they haven't missed a beat? Yeah, uh, over-under 5,000 journalists (laughs) who tell you they went to Northwestern the week of March 17th. (laughs) 
Okay, are you ready for the negative take? And then you, you can... Or you that can was do a sneaky negative that. take, by the way. Will just did a sneaky negative take because you're like, this is a positive one. You're talking about like you're going to have to eat your screw cereal over here and in, in face reality that Northwestern is going to be a tournament team. It's only nice for Northwestern fans. It's, so it's like that Trump tweet where he said, uh, I'm no <laughs> fan of sharks, folks, but they're too bad. They're going to be around for a long time. I'm no fan of Northwestern's offense, but too bad. It's going to be around for a long time. Uh, who's number two will okay here's my hot take michigan state is missing the ncaa tournament is this it for tom izzo i think he kind of gets named his expiration date but so they've kind of gotten this buzz lately because you know they start out five and four lost at home to northwestern by the way let's go wildcats um <laughs> and then they ripped off seven wins in a row and people kind of did the edging in of like oh Izzo's back out at michigan state's good again mm-hmm. and lo and behold they got uh, you know dropped by illinois in a game they probably should have won, and then failed to pull the upset of Purdue. Now, at the time of recording, they are playing Rutgers, so this take could look stupid real fast. Mm -hmm. Because if you beat Rutgers, you're going to be fine. But I've yet to be convinced at any point this season that this team is very good, frankly, because the best win sits as uh, Penn State, and Penn State's Mm -hmm. also a bubble team. The Kentucky double overtime thing back in November has not aged very well. Um, the win at home over Villanova, same thing. Win over Oregon, same thing. They they don't really have many good wins. I mean, Michigan's not good. I don't think I, you and I are going to disagree that Wisconsin's probably not good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I don't see it. They've been really lucky to get to the record they're at. They're 6-2 and two in games decided by six or less. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, very realistically, could have lost some stinkers like the Michigan game, could have lost to Portland. Mm-hmm. They beat Portland by one, beat this bad Villanova team by two. They're trending in the wrong direction, and I kind of think this could be the year they finally miss. Which, again, that's a miss for us, because we were kind of high on them coming into the year, that there was a case that they could be a pretty solid, pretty solid team. Well, I, I was high on them in the sense that I thought they'd be like top, you know, borderline top 25, top 25 right. to top 30. They're not even which, close. No, they're not close. I, I think they have a stronger chance finishing outside of the top 50 than they do getting back inside the top 30. Uh, and kind of the flip side of the uh, Northwestern uh, schedule thing, remainder of Michigan State schedule is sneaky difficult. So I'm going to read out these are the quadrant one opponents that are left because mm-hmm. there are eight. Uh, among their final 13 games. Hmm. Rutgers tonight, road Indiana on Sunday, road Purdue, road Rutgers, road Ohio State, road Michigan, road Iowa, home Ohio State to close the season out. That could very easily be two and six. And if you go two and six and your best win is like, I don't know, home Ohio State and maybe beating, maybe sweeping Michigan, is that enough? Probably not. So there you go. Man. That's uh, rough. I want to I hear your hot take. My hot take. I don't know why, like, we are overlooking... I didn't even mention him in the um, in the uh, Coach of the Year conversation. But it's CJ Ultenberger, right? Where mm-hmm. my take, my hot take, and I still will never pronounce his name correctly. TJ Otzelberger. TJ... TJ Otzelberger. It's something you got to say very slow. Why is he not the favorite at Texas? Like, he just loses his best player to Texas. 
Um, they were they came out of nowhere last year, a deep tournament run last year, where I see like John Calipari's name come up. My take is like I think sometimes these coaching searches they just overlook like Rick Barnes was not a sexy name uh, when he was yeah. hired at uh, Tennessee. The dude just wins a lot of basketball games. Like there sometimes you just these searches just overlook. Um, just hire someone that like hey, the NIL era now it's going to take care of itself. Like TJ doesn't have to be a great recruiter to do really well at Texas. Like you don't need John Calipari. If you're Texas, like you, it recruits itself. We're already seeing that a little bit where like Texas has a lot more money than everybody else. They can, they have more opportunities to do that. If you're Texas, like I just think some programs just hire the best coach. And I think Mm -hmm. TJ is just like someone who we forget how horrible of a situation it was at Iowa State just a couple years ago. Horrible. In my hot take, I'm like, he should be the next Texas coach. Like, I am calling him. I'm not calling some of these other big brand name guys. I am like, make us say no. Like, how sure are you you can keep this thing humming in uh, in Ames, Iowa? Come here, just focus on playing or on coaching uh, this team to wins, and we'll take care of the NIL and recruiting stuff. Like, that's what we'll, we'll figure out. I just... That's my take is I think he actually should be the favorite for Texas. And I think uh, we got to move past the Calipari's, the Patino's, the Sean Miller's and just be like, oh, this dude just wins a bunch of games in a terrible situation and probably knows what he's doing. Let's just put him in with our resources and bet on that. Hmm. It's my take. So I'm in on that. I think that's a good take. Okay. Uh, Have you considered that Iowa State is really hard to watch a lot of the time? Yeah. But guess what? Um, Chris Beard, defense first guy. Shaka Smart, yeah. defense first guy. Like it, I don't know. It's kind of it, the it would be fine. I mean, that's certainly a better hire than Cal, right? So I, I don't names. know what direction they're going to do. I, I, my hot take is that it, they're probably not going to get a big name. Like Otz yeah. probably is the biggest name they could capably Who? pull. Uh, Otzelberger is probably the yeah. biggest one. I mean, but like Grant McCasland at North Texas is probably more realistic. Can they not like just keep calling, keep texting TJ? Be like, hey, what's it going to cost? Like, to yeah, get or, to, or like you could try and get Tang from Kansas State. That'd be rough, man, for Kansas State. Like yeah, this kind of run, he and he sat it. behind Baylor for so long with Scott Drew that I don't know. I'd be surprised if he took Texas. Yeah, uh, but I, I would. I will also say, I would enjoy as a you know from a sicko's point of view, them getting Dennis Gates and running that style at Texas. Now that brutal, be another brutal thing for Mizzou. <laughs> it's yeah, just, but but if Texas was playing like 94, 91 games every night, oh, I'd watch every single one. Missouri hmm. right now, aside from me personally, I do enjoy watching Houston. I know a lot of people don't, but I, I just think the way they do it is amazing. Excluding Houston, Missouri is the single most watchable team in college basketball this season. Hmm. Okay. I, I Every single game of theirs is entertaining in some way. I, I, I don't... I don't hate that. I'm. Who would I say? I've enjoyed. Them. I like watching UConn a lot. I like their the way they play. They're very team oriented. Like UConn's fun because it's just a team. Like there's some teams where you just like it's your turn, my turn, or it's UConn's just fun. I think they're. Yeah. I don't know why it is, but I'm just like, oh, it's 2007 all over again. Like that's when, <laughs> when I'm watching UConn. That's kind of what I feel like a lot of the time. Um, I think Carolina makes stuff fun a lot. Like UNC. Mm-hmm. Like I still have no idea what they are, but like. Armando Baycott and that group, you're just, you never know what you're going to get. And it's just their flaws are very addicting. Yes, 100%. Um, Will, 
last thing before we get into Tennessee and our stat of the week. Um, Mike Bray retiring at Notre Dame at the end of the year. You mentioned Pat Kelsey. I think he's an Ohio guy. Obviously, he coached at Winthrop for a really long time before taking the College of Charleston go- job. Um, what would be your guess uh, as to which way Notre Dame goes, and is this a tr- an attractive job? I think it's reasonably attractive um, because you figure my my rule of thumb is generally every new coaching hire gets a larger budget than the coach before it. Hmm. Just because it's kind of it's generally how things work in college athletics. Mm-hmm. Just because I mean everything's inflating, everything's going up. Naturally, the budgets are going to go up too because. Uh, Three-man weave, Jim Root did this reporting back in May 2022. Notre Dame's budget ranked 10th in the ACC, hmm. which is not like horrible by any stretch. But you figure the next coach gets that small bump. Maybe they're like, you know, 6th to 8th, like mid-pack. That's good enough to make the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, for Bray himself, one, he should be in the coaching hall of fame because the job he did at Notre Dame in the 2010s was really great. Like they had never had success quite to that extent. You know, making those back-to-back lead eights, they were so fun to watch. Them almost beating the 38-1 and Kentucky team was really cool, too. Mm. Um, but it was time, right? They're on pace to finish, I think, 140th in Ken Palm this year, and they never once finished outside the top 100 before this year. Um, but I would say in rough order, the top three guys that I would personally go for, and I don't know if this is going to match what will actually happen, but it's a guess as good as any, Pat Kelsey, College of Charleston, Mm. originally from Ohio, coached at Xavier, young, charismatic, from the Midwest, crucially Catholic. Mm -hmm. Um, Number two, Dusty May at Florida Atlantic. Mm. Um, That one is going to be a tough pull, but Dusty has more of a Midwest background than uh, people realize. His alma mater is Indiana, Mm. was an assistant at Eastern Michigan before he came to the South. So he's got a lot of experience. up there. And I think he, again, a similar charismatic guy. I mean, FAU has been wonderful to watch this year. Really had a great time uh, following their story and seeing them kind of come out of nowhere of sorts to, you know, take the CUSA by storm. The third wild card here, it's not as sexy a candidate, but it's a guy that I am like 100% confident would say yes and would treat the job with utter seriousness. Uh, Brian Wardle at Bradley. Hmm. Uh, I I do not think he gets the respect he deserves because he turned Green Bay into a really good job, won 48 games his final two years there, has won 20-plus at Bradley three times, and Bradley had not been very good for a while, has made the tournament on pace to win the MVC this year. Uh, From Illinois, has spent his entire career in the Midwest. It would not be the, like, headline-stealing hire that, you know, like a Pat Kelsey would be. But in the event Pat Kelsey says no, I think that's a really good backup. That's Mm -hmm. a guy who's won a lot of games, has won games at different schools, has a ton of Midwest recruiting experience, knows your area really well. That's as good a shot as any, right? I'm curious. Do you know who you didn't mention? Is Ed Cooley Catholic? Um... Isn't Providence a Catholic school? I think so. But I don't think Notre Dame is a better job than Providence at this point. Mm. But can it be? Does it have more upside if you do it right? Yeah, but given, I think it kind of honestly boils down to 10 teams versus 15. Hmm. You're in a better position to win the Big East than you are the ACC. 
I also wonder too, like, I mean, obviously the women's basketball program is a juggernaut. They're still top 10. McGraw uh, retired a couple years ago and um, Coach Ivy is doing a great job this year. Um, there's buy-in on that front. Obviously, Marcus Freeman uh, getting a lot of buy-in on the football standpoint. The baseball team, uh, unfortunately, beat Tennessee in the, <laughs> in the Super Regionals last year. Um, so they're, they're in good shape, I think, across the board athletically. I wonder if they're a big spender and they're like, we can do bigger than Bradley. But like what we've said, I wonder if they go brand and they just overemphasize stuff like that or just take a chance. Just get hire a really good coach and use your resources to make that coach pop. And I don't know. Um, I, I'm curious which way they, they end up going. And the other thing that people... I mean, fans are fans. They're going to have short memories. But mm-hmm. something people are going to not recall, Mike Bray came from Delaware. Hmm. Like, that was his job before he took over at Notre Dame. He was he was a 41-year-old jumping from Delaware to Notre Dame. That's kind of the type of guys you're generally going to get, is, you know, younger-ish guys who are making the leap from mid-majordom, most likely single-bed leagues, to mm-hmm. the big time. Will it always work out? No. But it's as good a chance as anything else. And, I mean, there's no more guarantee that a monster name would work out than it is like a Dusty May or a Pat Kelsey or a Brian Wardle. How surprised would you be if it was Chris Mack? I would actually be quite surprised by that. Uh, He doesn't strike me as a guy who would want that type of thing. Hmm. But it definitely makes sense from a regional standpoint. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's, uh, that's an interesting name to and job to follow. Uh, Tennessee, they survive. Mississippi State, bunch of dudes out. Didn't really matter. Julian Phillips, uh, an absolute dominant rebounder. He's That's his best skill um, mm-hmm. right now for Tennessee. He's really good at that regard. Um, obviously, just kind of a no-show against Kentucky um, across the board, um, which is not great. Um, it's still just we're trying to figure things out, and he also wasn't closing. And I, you, you mentioned on the pod, I think, a couple weeks ago that you're like, I don't think he's one of the final five come tournament time. Um, and I don't know what that means for his future at UT. Like, does that mean he might run it back? Cause teams are like, mm, he's not even in the closing five uh, for a really good Tennessee team. I don't know. It maybe it benefits him more to come back for two years in college. Maybe he's one of the first guys to do it. Uh, Cause Keon, obviously Kennedy and um, uh, Jaden Springer uh, obviously have followed that. But I, I wonder too, if Kennedy knew that he, if he knew, now that he was going to fall to the second if he would have come back um my hunch is he would have come back um but ultimately mm-hmm. he landed in memphis where he's from and all that and i'm sure he's happy but either way uh what did you see uh, against mississippi state and uh, different guys having to step up specifically zakai ziegler who had a big scoring night well i thought i thought it was a tremendous team win mm-hmm. where you know that it's it, you walked into that game and you saw like, okay, Vescovy's out. That makes sense. You know, he took a really hard foul uh, in the Kentucky game. Through nothing malicious. It's just it's the way it happens sometimes. Mm. And he never looked right after it. And but then you see like, oh, Tyreek Key is sick because he got sick after the pregame meal. Don't get Chipotle, guys. Uh, I don't know. I always think about uh, Arthur, or not Arthur Spooner, um, but he was Arthur Spooner in King of Queens, but the Seinfeld episode where um, Frank Costanza, uh, in the (laughs) Korean War, he poisoned everybody and just screaming, you can't have, the episode ends with him just flipping the tables and all that. Spoiler alert for that 1997 episode, but yeah, think about that too. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I think... That that was a really impressive win to me because it shows like the team is bigger than Vescovy. It's bigger than Key. 
And, you know, it's bigger than, like, you know, Euros got hurt early in the second half. Uh, Triple J is still kind of working his way back. He's, I don't think he's really on the same minutes restriction. They kind of had to play him more by necessity. But he's still not playing as much as we know he can. And so to see Ziggler step up like that, Phillips, uh, you really did get a great game uh, quietly from guys like Adu And even Kamwa really turned it on defensively towards the end. Um, I don't know, man. That was... That is a win, like, as a fan, where it's like, you know, Mississippi State, I think we're kind of coming to the conclusion they're probably not going to make the big dance. Uh, they're better than we thought they would be, but they're, you know, more likely than not on track to be, like, you know, an 18-19 win team. Mm. And yet, that is one of the proudest moments I think you can have as a fan is when, you know, the two best shooters on your team are out. Like, mm. nothing is going right in the first half. You shoot horrendously. You can't hit the broad side of a barn. You look like all of your greatest flaws have come to fruition. And it's just like in your head, it's a write-off of like, this is as bad as it possibly can get. And what a bummer it is for this to happen after Kentucky. But to rally like that and, you know, not only win, but win by double digits. I I don't know. It just shows me like, this is probably, I don't think the star power is what it has been in past years. We had Grant Williams or Admiral or, you know, even Kennedy last year. But you have a greater team on the whole than I think Tennessee has ever had since I've been watching. The uh, The depth they possess is going to be really, really dangerous come March. And I, th- I think it shows you like, you know, like, yeah, Kentucky, that wasn't fun. But you're at a point now where you can survive when like one of your best guys is out or, you know, like somebody's not hitting or somebody's just not having a good night. Like. I don't know. I was crazy. I was very, very impressed by how well they, you know, overcame such of a situation. Yeah. And look, I can only imagine what practice was like for uh, this Tennessee <laughs> team following that loss to Kentucky. Like, I can only imagine how brutal that was. And also, a lot of Josiah Jordan James minutes that I did not see coming. I know they kind of yeah. had to, but they kind of didn't. I don't know. That's a, a very good sign if you're a Tennessee fan. Yeah, for him to be playing 62 of the last 80 minutes, yeah, that's a good thing. Uh, that's, frankly, what you're going to need in two months. So. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll end here. Your stat of the week this week, Will, is what? So dating back to a year ago today, January 19th, 2022, mm-hmm. nine teams have won 30 or more basketball games. So how many of them can you name? And I will go ahead and spoil for you that number one is Kansas. So okay, so repeat eight. that question again. Nine teams have won 30 or more basketball games in the last calendar year. How many can you name? Okay, can you do the fingers up while I yes. do this? Okay, so I can keep track. Purdue? Okay. okay. Arizona? Mm-hmm. Gonzaga? No. What? Yeah, I know. Gonzaga? Not? Okay. Um, now you've got... I'm concerned if Gonzaga is not on this list. Um... Baylor? No. You gotta uh, remember Baylor did not close last season well. Okay. Now you've got me. Uh per- I said Purdue. Hold on. Now you have Purdue they- and Arizona. I got Purdue. Oh, Houston. Houston. Yeah. Um not Illinois. Uh Auburn? Not Auburn. Again, closed last season really bad. Texas? No Texas. There is a Big 12 team in this. There is a Big 12 team that I'm missing. Um, Last year's champions. Who? 
last year's champions. Who won? Who won the Big Twelve last year? Um, why am I blanking? Why am I blanking? Just Starts tell me. Starts with a K, 12. ends with an S. Hold on. Who? You, we already said Kansas, right? Yeah. Oh, so, so yeah, that's four. Sorry. I was gonna say we are already out of Kansas. So you were my, doing this. I'm bad. like, I, I thought bad. I was like, who am I missing? Because like Kansas. Okay, that makes so a lot more sense. That's four of nine. Okay, because I was like, we started off with Kansas. Um, uh, I'm thinking. Um, what? Con- give me a conference that I've left out here. You have not. I don't think you've actually said an ACC team yet. It's not Duke. It's not North Carolina. Um, it is actually both of those. Is it really? <laughs> okay, I was the like, Final Kansas. Four helped a lot. I was gonna say that because this year is obviously. So, um, so you need three more. Okay, what conferences? Pac-12, SEC, and a mid-major conference. Murray State? Not Murray State. Okay, mid-major, I'm trying to think. I'll come back to mid St. Mary's? Not St. Mary's. Pac-12 and SEC are the other two. Uh, Pac-12, I will say... Who am I leaving out? Who's obvious that I'm leaving out? Uh, USC. Or UCLA, mm-hmm. excuse me. UCLA. UCLA. Yes, I meant UCLA, seven. yeah. Um, and then an SEC school, Tennessee. Yeah, so that's eight. Okay. And uh, then... Do you want me to tell you who the ninth is? Because it shocked me just as I would have never guessed. Okay. Hold on. What conference? That's not good. Uh, he doesn't know that conference. Out for you real quick. <laughs> oh, shoot. The CAA. Right? CAA. It's an eight sports agency. Yeah, Colonial Athletics. CAA. Oh, God. I have no idea. Who is who? Who would that be? UNC Wilmington. Oh wow! The Seahawks are thirty-one and nine in their last forty wow. games. They have more wins than all, but I think five college basketball teams in the last year. That's bonkers. I know we got to become PR guys for it. Takayo Siddle, who's their head coach, was he there last year too? Yes. So he has <laughs> won, counting this season so far, forty-two games in the last season and a half. He has next uh, Clemson coach. Actually, I think Clemson's keeping their guy, right? Like Brad yeah. Brad Brownell is doing the thing he does every single time this happens where he's on the hot seat and it's like, oh, shoot, better win 22 games. And then they just keep him. Maybe NC State? Uh, I don't think they're going to be Duke? able to fire Keats. Oh, that would be really funny, actually. Louisville? Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> Louisville, I really just, I don't even know. But you know what's uh, amazing about Louisville, You won't be too? shocked here. Louisville has won fewer games than any other Power 6 team in the last year. You know what's cool too about Louisville? Like, here's the thing: the the one only reason for optimism at Louisville that was still a packed house uh, against UNC the world on Saturday. Has not ended yet. That, but also they are still coming out in droves. Like, I was amazed at how filled out the KFC Yum Center was for uh, UNC on Saturday. Where I'm like, man, like they they it doesn't matter how ugly and horrific it is for Louisville basketball. Those fans are coming, and I. That's why your expectations are so high. Like a lot of other programs, you're not getting people in the building when you have the start that Louisville has had. And it's like sold out. It looks amazing. It's it, You would never have guessed watching UNC Louisville that Louisville was uh, two and whatever uh, at that point. Like, that's just insane. Um, Will, what can the good folks check out from you over at statsbywill.substack.com? Subscribe today if you are not already. But what, uh, what can the good folks uh, expect from you? I, so I would highly recommend heading to the site this week because there's a free post on Monday uh, using uh, stats from Ken Palm and Torvik uh, showing that this is on pace to have the uh, this is the weakest field or at least the most wide open 
we have had in at least 13 years. Hmm. Uh, the only close comparisons I could find were 2018 when 11 seed Loyola made the final four and nine seed Kansas State was in the Elite Eight. Hmm. And uh, 2013 when nine seed Wichita made the final four. Those are the types of similarities we're looking at here. Um, but that post I was very proud of. And then there's an SEC Weekly this week. Uh, finding each team's historical doppelgangers. Uh, Tennessee fans, you will not be surprised to hear uh, that the Royal Hours is uh, Texas Tech, hmm. as, as usual. The, as the bad expected. side of the comparison, as always, is Tennessee. So there you go. Interesting. Okay. I like it. I like it. Go subscribe. That's why will. Substack.com. Do it today. Type your email. That easy. That simple. Do it today for premier college basketball and Tennessee coverage day in, day out. Will, thank you as always, my friend, and uh, I will talk to you next week. Thanks for having me on. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you that you're interviewing. Mm-hmm. You're, um, pleasantness you're smart so i think i'm going to hear big things about you nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah